Now, the Wealth Protection Diva is a successful entrepreneur, business owner, and premier business strategist, president and CEO of Sage International Incorporated, and a national speaker, best-selling author, and motivational teacher of financial education, business development, and wealth protection strategies, the joys and frustrations of being a business owner. Her insights are motivating. Her frankness inspiring. Here is Sherry Hill. Happiness and success, the crown jewels of life, are universally sought for ourselves and envied in others. But these twin gems are not bestowed by fate or luck. They're not the result of happenstance. They're not even a divine gift. Rather, they are drawn from the well of each person's own mind. The attitudes stored there comprise the source from which all of life streams. Thus, if your well is poisoned, the water removed from it will be bitter to you and toxic to others. But if the well is untainted, everything that flows from it will be pure, refreshing, and restorative. This is the fundamental principle of life and the basis for Megatudes, the book written by my special guest today, Billy Riggs. Billy was voted one of America's top five most entertaining speakers in 2014, and he's called the Dr. Phil of Magic and a psychologist masquerading as a comedian and magician. Through television, radio, books, videos, and live keynote speeches, Billy has used an unusual blend of comedy, music, magic, training, and motivation to spread his positive attitude to more than a million people on five continents. So welcome, Billy. Thank you so much, Sherry. It is great to be with you. Awesome. Well, you know, I noticed on your business card that you call yourself the world's only disillusionist care to share why? Sure, yes. Um, I am an illusionist and have been for many, many years. I float ladies in the air, do Houdini escapes and that sort of thing. But much more important to me is not just performing illusions on stage, but getting into the heads of my audiences and exposing life's most damaging psychological illusions. All of us go through life plagued by what I call grand illusions, misunderstandings of the world and our place in it that form self-imposed barriers to success. And until one gets oneself disillusioned, it's very difficult to make any lasting progress in your life. Obviously, yes. Well, I know you wrote this book, Megatudes, and you talk about, you know, really there's a, a dozen different attitudes that are really critical to a balanced, happy, and productive life. So first, I'd like you to tell us what you mean by a megatude. Sure. Right. An, a megatude is an attitude that is so important that it, it has mega status. And I've uh, selected 12 of them. And if you make sure that your life is marked by those 12 attitudes, those 12 megatudes, then it puts you on a path for success and happiness and prosperity and a very well-balanced and meaningful life. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you know, obviously we all have a different take on what it means by attitude. So you use it throughout the book, of course. So give us a little insight to, again, what you mean by attitude. Sure. I used to fly small airplanes. And to anyone who has ever taken flying lessons, 
the word attitude has a very narrow meaning to a pilot. It refers to the angle at which an aircraft approaches the horizon, and there are only three of them. You can be nose up, which usually means that you are climbing. You can be straight and level, which speaks for itself, or you can be nose down, which is the general configuration for descending. So it's not just a cliche. It is absolutely true that your your attitude, rather, plays a huge role in determining your altitude. It is the manner in which you approach your circumstances more than the circumstances themselves that determines the heights to which you will climb or the depths to which you will fall. And in your more introspective and uh, uh, honest moments, you'll have to acknowledge that you built most of life yourself by choosing to view your world through a uh, brightly colored lenses or through a darkly colored lens. When you're positive, you take your life in a positive direction, usually. When you're negative, you take your own life in a negative direction. Right. Well, you also describe different levels of attitude. So, you know, obviously, if we say, well, you have to have a positive mental attitude or you have a negative attitude, I'm guessing there are varying degrees of that. Right. What I did in my book is I identified four different levels of attitudes. Uh, the first is what I call a negative. The second is a metitude. The third is metitude, but at a higher level. Uh, and the fourth is a megatude. Of course, meta is the uh, Greek prefix for uh, change or transition. The negative would be when somebody looks at a task and says, I just can't do it. Like, I, I just can't say no to fatty foods. If I were going to diet, my negative would be to say, I can't do it. And when you say you can't do it, of course you can't do it because you're not even going to try. The first metitude, the lower level, would be um, I shouldn't. I just tell myself I shouldn't do that. Somebody asked me to go out for Mexican food, and I say, well, I shouldn't do this. It's a little bit better than I can't. Uh, avoid temptation, but almost always follow the word I shouldn't, the words I shouldn't with, but I guess I will. Sure, why the heck not? The next level of metitude, a little bit better, is the I won't. Says, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go break my diet. The problem is, it is hard to keep that up long term. Just saying no, 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 your willpower eventually weakens and eventually you start saying yes, yes, yes. And so the highest level is the megatude. And the megatude is when you actually begin to see yourself in a different way. Instead of saying, I won't eat fatty foods, you say, and see, say to yourself, and you see yourself as somebody who is a healthy eater. It's the I am statement. I am a healthy person. I am uh, wise in my decisions. And when I begin to see myself that way, then and only then can I make a lasting change in my behavior because the whole direction of my life is congruent with the way that I see myself. Well, that makes total sense. And, you know, when we talk about all of this, of course, we're talking about the the inner voice inside our own head, right? Sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I use an illustration in my book. In 1909, uh, the great American explorer, Admiral Perry, uh, recorded in his diary 
latitude, and then he and his crew mushed by dog sled hard all day long. And at the end of the day, he took his bearings and found out that he was somehow further south than when he'd begun. It was only later that he discovered that he and his entire team were on top of a huge ice sheet that had broken loose from the polar cap, and it was floating southward faster than his dogs could pull him northward. I think in there is a very strong and apt illustration of what happens if you have a negative view of life in your soul, no matter how hard you work your subconscious mind always ends up pulling you backward faster than your conscious mind can pull you forward. It's like walking the wrong way on a moving sidewalk at the airport. You can overcome the direction of it if you walk or run fast enough, but the moment you stop to rest, you lose everything that you've gained. Right. Uh, I've been on those things before, and it's just hard to get off of them sometimes. (laughs) In your book, You talk about the first megatude, which is vision. So, you know, we don't typically equate vision with attitude, so why don't you talk about what you mean? Right. When I say that the first megatude of life is an attitude of vision, I don't mean a carefully articulated business statement, although that can be a very helpful thing. What I mean is the manner in which you view your world. As I mentioned a moment ago, your subconscious mind is working 24-7. Your conscious mind is only at work when you're awake. And so if you have positive goals and you're working really hard during your conscious hours, that can't be enough to overcome what your subconscious mind is doing if you have a negative view of life. I call it your well. If your well has been poisoned with negative thoughts, uh, bitterness, pessimism, and that sort of thing, then it is very, very difficult to pull any clean water out of a dirty well. And so if you want to move your life in the proper direction, you have to clean up the well. You have to get your vision of life proper. You have to understand your world and your role in it in a positive manner. And then all of a sudden, you're not just walking on a a regular sidewalk, you're walking on a moving sidewalk that's going the correct direction, which just redoubles your speed and makes your efforts uh, exponentially better instead of exponentially worse. So that's what I mean by a vision of life. It is how you see the world and your role in it. Mm, Very cool. Your book, Megatudes, there's 12 of them. And so, of course, we don't have time to cover them all, but Out of all those 12, which do you feel are the most important? I would say, first of all, proactivity. It is a determination that you will face life on offense instead of defense. Now, of course, there are always little windows of life during which we have to move onto defense because things happen that we weren't expecting. But generally speaking, you live life on offense. You decide where you want to go, you craft a concrete strategy on how to get there, and then you take the bull by the horns and move life that way. You don't sit around hoping things will get better. You do the things that make life better. You don't lie around wishing the phone would ring. You do the things that make the phone ring. Uh, I I use an illustration in my book of two different uh, captains of ships. 
both of them want to go to, let's say, the South Pacific, to Tahiti. Uh, one captain gets aboard his ship and just hopes that the winds blow in the right direction. The other captain gets on his ship. He has a carefully crafted plan of exactly where he is going to go and at what speed. Now, things may come along to knock him off course, but they're just temporary setbacks because he knows exactly where he is going and exactly how to get there. The other guy's just hoping. And so many people, I think the vast majority of people, live their life that way, just hoping things will go well. And sometimes they go well for a little while, and you get your hopes up, and then all of a sudden a storm comes along and blows you off course, and then all of your hopes and dreams are shattered. But you have to live your life on purpose. You have to know where you're going, have long-term goals, decide what you're going to do. I I started when I was 18 creating um, goals for my life. I... uh, wrote a bucket list 30 years before anybody had ever heard the term bucket list, to my knowledge. And I've been carefully crafting a strategy to fulfill all roughly 250 of those goals, accomplished well over a half of them now. And I'm frequently taking that list out. I carry it with me almost everywhere. When I'm on a plane with time to kill, I take it out and I look at it and I try and decide what can I do this month? How can I get closer to this goal this week? What can I do in a concrete manner to make sure that I get all of these done before I die? I love this entire show because it's all about positive attitudes. This is Todd Henry, author of The Accidental Creative. I want to wish everyone a happy holiday season and a prosperous new year. Sage International Incorporated sparks and fuels the entrepreneurial spirit by providing the strategies, information, education, tools, resources, and ongoing support services that will lay a solid foundation under a business owner's dream. If you're thinking of starting a business and you're not sure where to begin, Sage International Incorporated offers a free 30-minute consultation. Call 1-800-254-5779. That's 1-800-254-5779. Or visit sageintl.com. This is Diane Seek, speaker, author, and mindfulness coach. I want to wish everyone listening to the Sherry Hill Show a happy holiday and a prosperous new year. Today's market is more highly competitive than ever before, but successful businesses know that the most effective and least expensive way to distinguish their company from the competition is to provide mind-boggling customer service. My guest, Billy Riggs, master of enchantment, entertainment, and empowerment, and author of Megatudes, America's source for all things attitude, is known for using an unusual blend of comedy, music, magic, and motivation to spread this positive attitude to millions of people. I would encourage you to check out his website at billyriggs.com. So, Billy, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Great to be with you, Sherry. In one of your keynotes, you talk about creating positively magical service by exposing the five grand illusions that prevent business owners and their staff from serving their customers in a way that keeps them coming back again and again. 
So as we're in this time slot of lots of retail activity and all kinds of things going on, please share some of your insights about what you help people understand about creating that magical customer experience. The grandest illusion swirling around the whole issue of customer service is that good service will be rewarded. In my live presentations, uh, in order to illustrate that that is simply not true, I have everybody in the audience who's eaten at a restaurant recently at which they would say the service was good to raise their hands. And usually about a fourth of the audience will raise their hands. And then I say, leave your hand up if you now regard yourself as a loyal customer of that restaurant and almost every hand goes down immediately. Good service is rarely rewarded. Good service is the norm. It is expected. It is immediately forgotten. Good service is not even a competitive advantage most of the time. It's just the price of entry into the marketplace to begin with. Good service doesn't make people loyal. It simply keeps them from being hostile, and you can't even take that to the bank 100% of the time. The hard, cold truth is this. There are only two types of service that customers respond to, fabulous and bad. Everything in between is forgotten and wins you no brownie points whatsoever. It's like if uh, you were interviewing somebody for a job and you said, well, uh, why should I hire you? And they said, well, I've, uh, I've never committed a felony. All the uh, cushions on my sofa still have the tags on them and just listed all the bad things they've never done. I've never killed anyone. You would say, well, that doesn't win you any brownie points. That's just the standard, the base at which we all start. What makes you special? In order to create loyal customers, you have to provide what I call a moment of magic. A moment of magic is what a customer experiences when you do something something for them so wonderful, so unexpected, so over the top that they are left stunned, speechless, experiencing just a moment of pure wonder. I've had it happen a few times. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Yeah, actually I have. And you're right. It is it is one of those where it's so rare that you're like, wow, this was off the charts. And how absolutely. cool, right? And then you tell a whole bunch of people. Sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and the, the uh, typical person that experiences like something like that will tell at least five to ten other people the wonderful story of how you uh, stood behind your product or your service. It's uh, it's just free advertising. Well, I now, guess... That happened several years ago. I, uh, I had rented a car to drive from Jacksonville, Florida, to Jekyll Island, Georgia, where I was going to speak at the convention center. I'd been a loyal customer of one particular company for 20 years, but that particular day, the com- company I was loyal to had uh, been sold out. So I reserved my car through another company. When I got there, I couldn't find my driver's license. I somehow lost it on the plane. Still have no idea what ever became of it. But even though they were not allowed by law to rent me a car that day, Florida law won't let them rent a car even to somebody who has uh, you know, their credit cards, their passport, that sort of thing. You have to have your driver's license on you. They had one of their employees just pick me up in the car I was unable to rent and drive me 90 minutes north to Jekyll Island Convention Center and dropped me off and said, hey, if you have any trouble getting back to the airport tomorrow, just give us a call. We'll come get you. It was completely free. They wouldn't even let me pay for the gas, wouldn't let me pay for the employee. That was that was magic. And then I was just transformed by that moment of into a loyal customer of uh, of a different company. 
Right. But doesn't that take people that have, you know, like that frontline facing customer position, the ability to innovate or create the solutions in those moments? And I know you work, you know, a lot of business owners and you talk to a lot of big audiences and I mean, how do you see that companies can instill that kind of on-the-spot, creative, magical moments without having to go through a whole bunch of red tape to go, you know, how do we solve this? Well, the single most important thing you can do is set your people free and give them the authority to solve problems. When something goes wrong, studies show that if the first person they complain to, solves the problem immediately, there's a 95% return rate among those customers, which is way higher than if you'd gotten it right to begin with. It's about 65% if you get the uh, service right to begin with. If you screw it up, they complain and you fix it immediately without having them fill out paperwork, call an 800 number, wait for a manager to come over and solve the problem. There's 95% return rate, which, by the way, is as close to perfection as you're going to get because the other 5% died or moved away. So um, you have to give your people freedom. I tell many times the story of uh, Continental Airlines, which is now United. But when I got into this business of traveling as an itinerant speaker uh, a little over 20 years ago, the worst airline in the skies was Continental. When my schedule forced me to fly Continental, I went into a 30-minute depression in anticipation of what I was going to have to go through. They were never on time, and they didn't care that they weren't on time. Nobody at Continental seemed to care one whit whether their planes ever left on time or not, or whether your bags got there. But then they went out and hired a 35-year-old COO named Greg Brenneman, and when people say, why would they hire a 35-year-old COO to run a multi-billion dollar company, his answer is nobody else would take the job. Everybody else was so afraid to have their name associated with Continental that they wouldn't even touch the job. But he turned the airline around and went from worst to first in six months. And he did it by just setting the employees free. They had this long list of all of the policies of the company telling all of the flight attendants, the ticket agents, what they couldn't do to help a customer out in need. And uh, it was assembled by all the bankers and lawyers that ran ran the company in a series of memos that Brenneman said was nine inches thick by the time he arrived at Continental. One of the first things he did was he uh, went out in the parking lot with a bunch of employees, dropped it in a barrel, and set it on fire and said, starting now, the inmates run the asylum. (laughs) Let the people just be free to take care of their customers. And within six months, they were on top. Excellent airline. There's a a whole big reason why internet, online, dealing with companies in that way where you really don't ever have to talk to anybody has just obviously changed the, the dynamics of how we do business with companies. I can remember my grandmother, who was someone who was a professional shopper. 
not paid for it, but as someone, and she's the one that really taught me about effective customer service. And this is a woman who literally, you know, would walk into a store with the ad that that place just ran and go up and ask a clerk to say, you know, where is this product? I want to buy this product. I want to give you my money. And when she would hear those words, well, I don't know, it would send her into a... Never unpleasant, but certainly never went back. It's a big topic and one that, you know, you're very familiar with because you're out there traveling and and talking to all kinds of business folks and your audiences and everywhere. But I think one of our big messages is really that the companies have to seriously look at this and they have to take it more serious. Why are you making it hard for me to give you my money? Yes, and it's just poor management at most uh, places. They don't take the time to train the employees how to answer the questions that are absolutely certain to come. You have to have a conscientious manager who manages details and makes sure that all of the people are properly trained. And those are just not as common as they should be. Well, and also part of you know, the message of the organization that we're this, this, and that, but when I go to get this, this, and that, that's not my experience. And so you, as a master illusionist, this is one of those things where I'm guessing your term disillusioned uh, certainly fits the bill. (laughs) Oh, yes, absolutely. I read a study recently, and I I, uh, don't have in front of me the documentation for it, but... uh, uh, of Fortune 500 companies, 80% of them rated their own level of service as superior. But their customers, uh, only 8% of them rated those companies' service as superior. So there's obviously a huge disconnect between the, the level of service companies think they are providing and what their customers are experiencing. Exactly. And your whole premise for a lot of what you share and teach and speak about is really it's that kind of that internal mindset. So if I, the business owner, you know, believe that this is what the experience is out there, but reality doesn't match that, then part of, you know, how you train your people and communicate with people and your customers, your internal and external customers, really boils all back down to what we talked about in the first segment, which is all about attitude and how you see your world and how does that translate out. The most important megatudes, I did want to mention one other, and uh, that was the uh, one of authenticity one of the most important lessons i deliver to youth is to be completely consistent with who you are because if for some reason you choose a public persona that is different from who you are in private the net result of that is a lifetime of exhaustion it ultimately leads to all sorts of private behaviors that are uh, addictive and damaging to you because the only time you can get any relief from the mask that you have to wear in public is uh, is when you're in private just trying to find any quick fix. And, um, uh, and the other one that I wanted to mention was integrity. Uh, I am absolutely convinced that uh, every violation of my integrity ultimately makes me a less happy person. 
every lie that I tell, every underreported dollar on my income tax return, every overreported dollar on an expense invoice. Anytime I do something, I believe that I wind up making myself a less happy person because every time I do something like that, I like and respect myself just a bit less. Right. And there are all sorts of studies that have demonstrated that the more honest people perceive a company to be, the higher the profit level of that company is. And for very simple reasons, people want to do business with people that they trust, people that they know won't rip them off. When we come back, we'll pick up on this conversation. But because you are a comedian, I want to talk about the benefits of humor. This is Jeff Hyman, your startup therapist based in Chicago, Illinois. And I want to wish everyone a happy holiday season and a very prosperous new year. Sage International Incorporated sparks and fuels the entrepreneurial spirit by providing the strategies, information, education, tools, resources, and ongoing support services that will lay a solid foundation under a business owner's dream. If you're thinking of starting a business and you're not sure where to begin, Sage International Incorporated offers a free 30-minute consultation. Call 1-800-254-5779. That's 1-800-254-5779. Or visit sageintl.com. This is Mike Fossey, Registered Principal at Financial Educators Network in Fort Collins, Colorado, and here in Reno, Nevada. I want to wish everyone listening to the Sherry Hill Radio Show a Merry Christmas and a prosperous New Year. If you have comments about today's show or any questions, please email sherry at sherryhillshow.com. We've all heard that laughter is the best medicine, and it's true. Laughter relieves stress, elevates mood, enhances creativity, and makes you more resilient. But it's not just good for your emotional and physical health, it's also good for your relationships. Laughter brings people closer together and creates intimacy. And it's an especially powerful tool for managing conflict and reducing tension when emotions are running high. Billy Riggs, motivational speaker, professional illusionist, and comedian, has always used humor to communicate life's most important lessons. He is the author of several books, the latest being Megatudes, which shares the 12 critical attitudes that will shape your future, and also the 12 immutable laws of humor. So, Billy, you're a funny guy, so let's talk about why you believe humor is an excellent tool to help us understand how accepting life's challenges in a positive way gives us control over our negative feelings. I think we all recognize that laughter takes a lot of stress out of life. Laughter makes any situation, uh, even painful ones, just a little bit less tense and uh, less traumatic. I've just always been a naturally funny person. I got that from my father. And in fact, I even dedicated my book on humor, The Twelve Immutable Laws of Humor, to my father because he was the one that taught me to laugh from the time that I was just a very little boy. And he's always uh, a jokester, even to this day. He's in his 80s and alive and well, thankfully. And so I've always used humor. I, I don't know why. I can't really account for it. But um, my presentations, I think everybody would say, are very, very funny. People laugh until they cry. 
the benefit of doing that in a speech is, of course, it disarms people. It, it builds a relationship with the audience and makes them trust you and listen to you and uh, enables you to uh, deliver a message that may not be uh, altogether pleasant, but like the song says, a spoonful of sugar makes medicine go down. Exactly. And I can say uh, the same. My dad is, you know, a funny guy, always has been. And and when I looked at my, you know, life growing up, he was the one that was always cracking the joke or making light of the situation or really trying to help you twist whatever it was that you were experiencing to see that, you know, let's put it into perspective, right? And so I know myself, I consider myself somewhat witty. I don't know that I'm funny like a comedian, but I'm a quick wit and love to make people laugh and certainly enjoy laughing. And I find it interesting that, you know, when you look at all the things going on around the world, the one question I ask is all that's going on in the Middle East. Has anybody ever taught these people how to have fun or laugh or enjoy life? To be pretty serious, don't they? Yeah. And and so when you talk about the immutable laws of humor, give me an example of one of those laws. Years ago, and it's been probably 15 years since I wrote that book, uh, I dis- began to see a pattern in the things that all funny people do. I studied uh, Johnny Carson and Jay Leno and David Letterman and uh, Robin Williams, all the famous comedians. And there were 12 things that I noticed that all funny people do. And so what I did was I, I codified all 12 and wrote just two or three pages uh, to uh, as a synopsis of each of the 12 laws that I call them, the 12 laws of humor. And then I took the 100 greatest jokes of all time, and I inserted them into the book as illustrations of how to use the law. One of them is the law of inflation. That is that uh, good storytellers are, act almost as though they are inflating a balloon. You inflate it to the point where it's ready to pop, and that way when it pops, there's a sudden burst of laughter. You write the punchline uh, very, very tersely. It's got to be very succinct. It's got to be like a punch. That's why they call it a punchline. It's like got to be like a Mike Tyson jab to the nose rather than a Tai Chi move. You know, this is very slow. Um, in fact, in my introductions, I, uh, um, when people introduce me to speak, I've written out uh, my introduction, and there are four funny lines in there, and I specifically tell the person introducing me, read these verbatim. Uh, one of them is, I'll just give it away, um, Billy was a multimillionaire by age 18, but only in Turkish lira. <laughs> and it's it's a funny joke, and it gets good laughs. But I find people all the time trying to make it funnier, but they always make it less funny because they say something like, you know, it says here that uh, Billy was a, uh, a multimillionaire by about the age of 18. Hmm. Unfortunately, though, apparently it was only in Turkish lira. By that time, the, the joke is dead because you haven't popped the balloon. You've just let go of the, the end that should have been tied up, and it just falls flat. So the law of inflation teaches people how to get just the right of tension uh, in your balloon, and then you can pop it for a sudden burst of laughter. That's one of the 12 laws. That's awesome. 
life. Life happens. When we talk about how that ties back into really the whole subject of this show is really, you know, the attitude, the attitude you bring to your own life that humor has a real place for that. Now, that doesn't mean when you're, you know, given some really bad or tragic news that you start laughing. But it does help you understand that if you put it into perspective, because what I think is really bad news may not be really bad to somebody else, right? It's perspective. And so in, you know, definitely thinking about the humorous side of life, that's what I say to people. Why, why wouldn't you want to make this more fun? Why don't you want to lighten up? Why don't you want to try and get through this with not so much drama and stress and tears? Life is short. I say that to myself and to my family probably once every two or three days. So you better make it the best it can be. Right. Don't leave anything on the table and don't take yourself so seriously. Enjoy yourself. Have a lot of fun. Laugh your full head off because one day life will be over. You better enjoy the life that you have. If right. You're going to be live one life. Why spend it miserable? Exactly. Give us one more one of one of your laws of humor. Okay. Uh, I'll give you another one that I learned from Johnny Carson. The law of rebounding. Uh, actually, let me give you two of them. I want to set one up. Um, one is uh, the law of commitment. That is, you have to tell the punchline of a joke as though it is hysterical. Uh, I rem- I, in the foreword of that book, I tell the story of how uh, I uh, told a joke during one of my first public speeches. I delivered the punchline, and nobody laughed. Nobody it was just so embarrassing. And the thing that made it really troubling was I'd, I'd stolen it from another speaker. I heard that speaker use the same joke a month before, and people laughed so hard they had to carry three guys out on stretchers. <laughs> so I'm worrying, wondering, what the heck did I do so differently? What I didn't do was I didn't commit to the punchline. What I did was because I was afraid that people may not laugh, I told the joke very tentatively. And the subconscious reasoning is this. If people don't find my joke funny, they will at least think I was smart enough to know that it might not be funny. Rather than thinking I'm both not funny and so stupid, I thought the joke was funny. So what you have to do is you have to tell that joke, you have to go out on a limb and saw it off and die with that joke if it dies. Which brings me to the other law I was going to tell you, and that is the law of rebounding, which I learned from Johnny Carson. And that is, if your joke bombs, which it shouldn't, but every once in a while it does for everybody, if it bombs, you get a bigger laugh from your response to the fact that it bombed. Uh, Johnny Carson would, uh, would tell a stupid joke. Uh, it was so cold, the Tidy Bowl man was wearing ice skates, and nobody would laugh. And then he would just deadpan, yep, he was just wearing ice skates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's wearing ice skates. That's what he was doing, right? And and people would laugh hysterically at him because his joke bombed. And so it's it's an even uh, better 
uh, laugh than if the joke had gone over in the first place. So there are two more laws for you. Right. Well, and of course, not everyone's a professional comedian like you and Johnny Carson. And But still, when we talk about effective communication or a positive attitude or how to take a situation that for some is, you know, the uh, glass is half empty mindset versus the half is glass full, then sometimes humor or a witty statement or comment just kind of breaks the tension. And so people, I know personally, I I was 12 years in Toastmasters and I spent three years on comedy because it was way outside of my comfort zone. But it was something that I learned how to be way more effective on my feet to bring laughter into an audience or in a presentation or in anything. And it's a skill set. And it was something that I, I really worked on. And so, you know, I appreciate those true comedians that they do this for a living. <laughs> Like well, you, well, you know, yeah. I, I wrote my book. <laughs> I wrote my book for people like you. Yeah, people for whom being funny doesn't come natural, but you're smart enough to learn the same skill set. You can learn those twelve laws, and you can apply them to your speeches just as well as I can, and people will laugh. And so that's why I put the hundred greatest jokes of all time inside of it, so that uh, you know it gives you an example of how a get law applies to one of those given jokes. So I need to send you a copy of that. Ah, thank you. All right, we've got to go to break. We come back. I'm going to pick up with Billy Riggs, who some of him call the Dr. Phil of magic, but he really is America's source for all things attitude. We'll be right back. This is Karen Jensen. I want to wish everyone listening to the Sherry Hill Radio Show a prosperous and beautiful new year in 2016. Thank you, Sherry. Sage International Incorporated sparks and fuels the entrepreneurial spirit by providing the strategies, information, education, tools, resources, and ongoing support services that will lay a solid foundation under a business owner's dream. If you're thinking of starting a business and you're not sure where to begin, Sage International Incorporated offers a free 30-minute consultation. Call 1-800-254-5779. That's 1-800-254-5779. Or visit sageintl.com. Are you ready to begin living a sensational life? Hello, this is Dwayne Cummings, author of The Sensational Salesman. I'm on the Sherry Hill Show next weekend, Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 8 a.m. on 99.1 FM Talk. This will be an exciting radio show to help you achieve lifelong happiness and fulfillment. You will love this radio show next weekend, Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 8 a.m. on 99.1 FM Talk. This is Billy Riggs from Austin, Texas. I want to wish everyone listening to the Sherry Hill Radio Show a prosperous new year in 2016. Thank you, Sherry. If you missed any part of today's show and would like to listen to the podcast, please visit SherryHillShow.com. Billy Riggs has been called the Dr. Phil of Magic and is America's source for all things attitude. 
through television, radio, books, videos, his helpful website, BillyRiggs.com, and live keynote speeches, Billy uses an unusual blend of comedy, grand illusions, and motivation to audiences around the world. This entire show we've been talking about initially his first, his not his first book, his last book, Magitudes, 12 Critical Attitudes That Will Shape Your Future. Then we talked about the 12 Immutable Laws of Humor. And in this segment, I'd love for you, Billy, to please share. You've written another book called Life's Grandest Illusions. You know, when I first got into this business, I only had one talk. It was called Grand Illusions. And that's all I did for the first couple of years. I did it scores and scores of times all over the country, um, which talks about the three grandest illusions of life. The first is victimization. If you believe that you are a helpless victim of circumstance, you will never accomplish very much in this life. There are some people that simply relate to their world as victims. They see the world as a windshield, and they are the bug. They believe that they're... um, the story of their life is being written by circumstances that are beyond their control. And they are like trains sitting on railroad tracks, and God or fate or karma or some set of circumstances forced on them against their wishes has laid out for them a set of railroad tracks, and they are helpless to do anything but follow them to a predetermined end. And victimization is so, so damaging. Instead, you have to acknowledge reality, get disillusioned. The reality is that the, the story of your life is being written more than any other thing by the choices that you make. You take full responsibility for where you are in life, and only then can you take full responsibility for where you will go. Victimization is the one of the grand illusions of life. The second was self-sufficiency. It's the exact opposite. And we flip-flop back and forth between the two. It's a pendulum swing from Emma helpless pawn to I am a king. We tell ourselves, I can accomplish anything. I can do anything. Nobody can stop me. I'm a veritable God. But when we live our lives under that illusion, we wind up taking risks that ultimately will be our undoing. And history is, of course, littered with the people that have believed that, from Leona Helmsley and Ivan Boski and uh, the... uh, who's Lance Armstrong, people that just thought that they were special and the rules that governed everyone else didn't apply to them. And, of course, all they did was sow the seeds for their own destruction. Mm -hmm. And then the third was inadequacy. It's this feeling that I just don't have what it takes to succeed in life. And I worked really hard to get people disabused of those three grand illusions, to set them free to go out and live lives in the real world. Doesn't it make sense that to the degree your perception of a problem is inaccurate, that your response to it will be ineffective? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, of course it does, which is why you have to live in the real world. Uh, An illustration I've uh, used in a book that I'm uh, currently working on is if, uh, let's suppose your significant other won't kiss you, and you assume that it's because they have intimacy issues. But the real issue is that you never take a bath. Uh, If you really believe it's intimacy issues, none of your solutions are going to work. You're going to buy self-help books for your partner. You're going to take them to counseling. uh, You're going to have deep emotional talks. None of your solutions work because you have misdiagnosed the problem. 
grand illusions that we carry in our heads cause to consistently misdiagnose problems that we face in our lives. It is only when you get yourself disillusioned that you then see through a clear uh, lens instead of through a warped one. You can analyze your situation properly and you can respond to it effectively. All right. But how do you, I mean, I always look at and go, you know, you can tell people this, you can share this information with people, but don't you find that those that have a negative predisposition tend to stay that way throughout their entire life? And so how do you really help people move from, wow, I recognize this in myself as these traits or characteristics or behaviors to really make an effective change? There is some uh, study, uh, some at least some evidence, that uh, having a positive attitude is hardwired into the central nervous system from birth. Uh, people who are negative do tend to be wired that way, but it doesn't mean that you have to live your life that way. Um, it means it would be harder to be positive, but you can discipline yourself to try and look on the bright side. I don't know which I'm really wired to do, but I discipline myself to be positive. I don't know that I'm uh, wired one way or the other. I just force myself to do so. Um, I've been uh, trying to lose about six or eight pounds uh, over the last oh, couple of months. Not long ago, I was speaking in Greensboro, North Carolina, and the night before the show, I ran to a, a local grocery store to buy a couple of things that I needed to perform. In the parking lot, there was a McDonald's, and I love those chocolate dip cones. You know what I'm talking about, the soft-serve ice cream? You, you, uh, they dip it in melted chocolate, oh, and it yes. hardens into a chocolate mm-hmm. shell in about 10 seconds, like a Klondike bar? Yes. And I, I gave in to temptation, so I, I pulled into the McDonald's drive through disappointed in myself. I ordered my chocolate dip cone. I went up to the window. I paid my $2.10, thoroughly disgusted with myself. But then the lady came out. Instead of giving me my dip cone, I said, and she said, uh, look, I'm sorry, the chocolate is hardened. We have to melt it again. It'll take about five minutes. Would you mind going and parking over there in the penalty box? And so I did. And uh, about two minutes later, though, I thought, I don't have time for this. And I just drove away. I could have been angry that I spent $2.10 on a dip cone that I didn't get, but instead, I just chose to view it in a positive light. I said to myself, I gave into temptation, and I still didn't get the calories. So the circumstance that would have made me mad or sad instead makes me happy. And people sometimes hear that story or something similar, and they say, that's crazy. And I get that, but you could also make the case that it's pretty crazy to live the only life you've got, sad and miserable. I just choose to look at things in the most positive light possible, and it makes me happier. Even though I know that from an emotional perspective, there are times where we have to experience every range of emotion from sadness to grief to whatever, and a huge part of your messaging is it's not about ignore those or don't experience those. It's really about you don't have to dwell in it. Right, and I'm not telling you to be happy when your mother dies. Right. That, that's completely <laughs> inappropriate, completely absurd. There are times when uh, being upbeat and chipper is completely inappropriate and out of place and unnatural. But I would say that having a positive attitude will make any situation 
no matter how bad, a little bit better or a little less painful, or it will make you a little bit more likely to move in a constructive uh, direction. You're a smart person. I mean, the people listening right here, uh, right now are smart people. They can figure out, you know, when it's appropriate to be happy or sad, but they can also try and put the most positive spin on events that they possibly can, except, of course, when it's a catastrophe involving a loss of life. And then you grieve an appropriate amount of time, and then you decide to get up, put a smile on your face, and move on with your life. Right. Eventually, you have to. Exactly. You really are all about the positive attitude and really helping people understand that even though I say I have a positive attitude, there might be some things that I could certainly benefit or learn from you. And so all these books that you've written and certainly you coming out and speaking in you know front of audiences and tying all of your magic and illusions and ways that you present is pretty phenomenal. I saw you at Win. It was fantastic. Yes, you did make me laugh. It was pretty amazing. And so I would encourage folks to go out to your website. You do share some of your talents on your website, but to tap into your books, Megatudes and the 12 Immutable Laws of Humor. And so if anybody ever wanted to reach out to you, what's a great way for them to reach you? Uh, just email me, billy at billyriggs.com, B-I-L-L-Y-R-I-G-G-S. I want to thank you for being here. It's been fun. I really enjoyed when I saw you live to come here and really drill down with me the core of what your whole foundation is about, and that's really accepting the fact that, you know, our attitude makes all the difference for how we get to spend our time. Well, I thank you so much for the opportunity for being with you. You know, there, on the last page of my book, Megatudes, I've written a, a paragraph that I'd like to share with your audience if we have time. Yes, do please we, do. Okay, sure. I, I encourage people that buy my book to actually cut this page out and paste it on their refrigerator or their mirror and read it out loud if they need to every single day. This is what it says. Today is a very important day because what I do today will change my future. The choices I make today, even the small ones, will either make my life better or they will make it worse. So I will choose wisely. The decisions I make today will either advance my career or damage it. They will improve my relationships or harm them. They will increase my income or decrease it. They will improve my health or undermine it. They will enhance my reputation or soil it. They will strengthen my character or weaken it. They will either sweeten my well or they will contaminate it. Therefore, I will carefully consider how I spend my time today, what I say, how I say it, what I do, with whom I spend my time, and what I put in my body. I will plan my day according to my priorities rather than let it be planned for me by pressures or by the demands of others. I will guard my mind from negativity and pessimism because whatever I allow to pollute my well will eventually pollute my life. I will flood my mind with positive thoughts and input, I will expect good things to happen. I will face each day with calmness, clarity, and a smile. Today is indeed a very important day. I encourage people to read that every single day of their lives, and I think it will help put them on the right track. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. Billy Riggs. We'll catch up again soon. The Sherry Hill Show values the role we play in supporting the economic engine driving this country. 
Small business, the backbone of America. Send her a message on facebook.com slash Sherry Hill Show and tune in next week, same time, same station for the Sherry Hill Show.